Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lafibri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched... Drumroll. I can't do that with my... I, I can't do that. <laughs> Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek II, Into Darkness. JK, it's just I Star Trek Into Darkness, but... Love Star Trek so much. I'm so happy we did this, and I'm so excited to talk about these. We talked about... I'm not going to say that, actually, because that's a Patreon, and we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but we can, um, we can say that. Plug it. People make people want to go listen to it. 100%. I mean, okay, yeah, like, we did do the original uh, Star Trek, the original motion picture for our Patreon, and it's very cute, and I talk a lot about Star Trek, obviously, um, but for those of you that are not patrons, you can become one, patreon.com slash nostalgia. But yeah, my experience with Star Trek didn't really start until, like, I knew what Star Trek was and, like, all of the things that um, that happened around Star Trek or, like, the characters and stuff like that. I, I watched, like, a couple episodes growing up, not a lot, and not religiously, of course. But then, like, the past four years, I've been watching Star Trek, starting with, like, Next Gen, like, and I'm watching every episode of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and now Discovery and... I am so in love with the Star Trek universe. I love, 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 love it. Even though there are problems within it, I am fucking all in. So oh, yeah. that's my Star Trek experience. What about you? It is next to nothing. Um, just in terms of my only experience with Star Trek really is the J.J. Abrams Star Trek Oh, films. that's right. I guess I did watch those before the last four years of like the TV shows, but yeah. Yeah. It's it's really just those and then Lower Decks, the series, that new series with Tony Newsom, which is fantastic. And I'm really excited for season two. Um, and then I don't, wouldn't necessarily consider it canon, but Galaxy Quest, just because <laughs> it really is kind of a part of the culture as far as Star Trek is concerned, I think, because it's very much a commentary on it and the vibes. I mean, granted, it's obviously fiction. It's not a real show. But I like to think that it's part of it. <laughs> um, and it's also just a fantastic movie. But, yeah, so I'd never really seen... Uh, oh, wow. How did I blink on this? <laughs> Captain Kirk. William Shatner. William Shatner. Wow. Wow. Look at me. Um, I never saw uh, Bill Shat uh, as Captain Kirk ever apart from just general clips or just the understanding that he developed this uh big himbo intuitive emotional kind of slutty bad boy persona and outside of that yeah that's my whole that's my whole deal with star trek yeah i forgot that i watched those movies and like at the time i really liked the movies i was like oh this is great like because everything that i had absorbed throughout like you know the pop culture ethos in the world was like oh yeah that is absolutely captain kirk and that is absolutely bones and that is absolutely uhura and this is like i was just like this casting for spock perfect like everything was just like this is spot on this is incredible and i remember at the time liking it and a lot of people that i knew that actually liked you know the the tv shows 
were like, this is not Star Trek. This is garbage. This is fucking awful. And for a long time, I was like, no, no, no. You're like, you know, agree to disagree, but I think you're wrong, right? But um, I have to agree. Um, Moving into, like, now having, like, so much more context and looking at these movies from a critical eye, right? So, like, both of those things and knowing what Star Trek is and is supposed to be and then kind of seeing, like, the bastardization of it in this new film, I'm so excited to talk about it. But, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm team TV shows. Fuck this new alternate universe, whatever. This is going to be interesting because I feel the exact opposite way. <gasps> interesting. Oh, I'm well, so excited. I mean, excited. ish. Like, obviously, I don't have much stake in it, but uh, in general, I do. Th- I think I feel the opposite way. We'll see. Should we jump into the first one and just see how yeah, it goes? Yeah, let's do it. After a riveting day of overseeing the famed Kobayashi Maru exam, Admiral James T. Kirk spends his birthday sad at home, surrounded by antiques and friend Dr. McCoy, who tries to convince him to go back to being the captain of a starship. Meanwhile, Commander Chekhov and his crew are searching for planets to test Dr. Carol Marcus's project, Genesis, a device that terraforms planets instantaneously, allowing them to cultivate and sustain life. Unfortunately, Chekhov forgot about marooning a group of superhumans in the system they're searching in and is confronted by none other than Khan, the leader of said superhumans. Khan quickly springs into action and gains mental control of Chekhov and Captain Terrell via space worms and heads over to Dr. Marcus to steal Genesis and hopefully use her to lure out his mortal enemy, Admiral James T. Kirk. Just as predicted, Kirk takes the bait and control of the USS Enterprise manned by a training crew to figure out just what the heck is going on. While en route to Regular One, the headquarters of Project Genesis, the Enterprise is attacked by the USS Reliant, piloted by Khan and his followers. After some quick thinking by Kirk, they outsmart super genius Khan and make it to Regular One, where they find a bunch of dead bodies and subsequently are double-crossed by Chekhov and Captain Terrell. Somehow, the earworms die, taking Terrell with them, allowing Kirk and the remaining party to find Dr. Marcus, her son, and Genesis. Khan still manages to get Genesis, but Kirk and friends are rescued by his crew, and so ensues a battle between the Reliant and the Enterprise. A nebula is involved, a warp core breach ensues, Khan and crew die, Genesis is activated, Spock fixes the breach and dies, a funeral happens, and everyone is sad. Space? Truly, the final frontier. So what a step up, first of all. Um, from, from the first one? Oh, from the first my one, right? God. Because for the Patreon, we, we watched that first one. And um, boy, was that a snoozer. Um, Snooze a dude. So gay. So gay. Yeah. It's canon. We unpack well, everything. I wish, I truly wish it was like more overt. We really had to like dig in a little bit. I mean, the Homer Rawson was like kind of palpable, but our analysis was where it was like, oh, here it is. But it was just, like, too boring to be fun. But this one, off the bat, we jump in with the Kirstie Alley moment, which, whoop. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anytime, I'm just like, we, we don't need her necessarily. But good for her. Not really, but, you know. I and, mean, she's um, basically nothing in this in this movie. She's, she, like. Oh, no character. She's supposed to be Vulcan, 
like they have no motion or whatever or like you know they suppress it but like it's still um just a very nothing performance it is from her but she does cry on cam she has the one tear mm-hmm. which you know props to her which is truly incredible for vulcans incredible truly incredible she's performing but i loved that it, it's very it's very it was interesting it was like this no win scenario where everybody on the ship dies and then it's like that was a test and let's see how you did and then we're like into it and it's engaging and fun in a way that the first one wasn't in the first five minutes mm-hmm. you know okay i i don't know if you're gonna hate this i didn't like this con as much no offense to ricardo Montalban. I was not sold. Oh, I I absolutely was. I uh, thousand percent disagree. Yeah, I I actually did not really like the second con. <gasps> like to to me, okay. To me, they are very different, and so they're like, very different. Yeah. So they yeah. are they are also. Um, I'm not sure because I don't know um, how much about the relationship you know about Star Trek the films versus the TV shows, but um, or I'm sorry, the J.J. Abrams reboot quote-unquote it's actually like supposed to take place in an alternate universe which is why pike dies the way that he does which is why vulcan is blown up like vulcan is very much existing in this world so Mm -hmm. i thought that it was really interesting to see how that kind of shaped and molded people's um people's perspectives and like kind of their decisions um so i did like that but i felt like con in this one was more compelling to me i just liked it more because the second one feels and we'll get into it but like uh the second con feels like i can understand why in this one con is like kind of a bad boy and in the other one i'm like i think i'm also just mad at like the treatment of con and like how he's just literally constantly fucked over by everybody for just existing in this yeah. one like there is context um it, like built into the story that like hey he's a bad guy right and then i looked up because i never watched the um there's a star trek the original um series episode with con so i looked up to kind of like see the plot of that because i never actually watched it and like this con was like involved in like a eugenics war and controlled like a third of earth and like there's a whole thing in like the 1990s and so i'm like okay cool this guy's a little bit more sinister but i didn't like that even though he's supposed to be like the superhuman and like super incredible how fucking easy it was for kirk and uh the crew to outsmart him i thought that was um, I thought that was really poor writing. Like, that w- he's just so easily baited by, like, oh, man, I'm going to come get you, Kirk. Nah, 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 nah. Like, you know, that superiority complex. And at every point, it's like, oh, well, the only thing that kept us alive was the genetically engineered intelligence, you know. But, like, at the same time, he didn't look at the computers or the transporter to find out where Genesis went, you know? He couldn't crack that very fucking easy Starfleet code on when this person was going to come back, you know? And, like, Kirk has this line where he says, like, he only thinks two-dimensionally. He's intelligent but not experienced, which is absolutely untrue because motherfucker ruled a third of Earth. Of course he's, like, intelligent, and of course he has experience. Like, he could not have existed or gotten to that point without that 
So I mean, one hundred percent, and that's kind of what I'm saying when I'm when I mean I like the other one more, just because the intro scene of Khan in this movie I thought was fantastic. He's very brooding. He's mysterious. The fucking like him pulling the earworms out of that thing in the sand and like placing it in that whole context, like th- this just like very soft spoken but astute and very stern smoldering character of who knows like we're not sure like but he's bad essentially and then it seems like he lost all of that <laughs> like halfway through the movie like yeah. he just he becomes this like laughably weak character and again it's like why didn't he check this very obvious thing whereas in the other one it does seem like he is much smarter and he makes everybody look stupid by how like in control he is that's what the character Khan seems like because he is mm-hmm. supposed to be this sort of like engineered super being who it like literally needs to be like put away because they are going to destroy the universe. Essentially they're so smart and they're so manipulative. So like about halfway through, I was a little like, it just doesn't track. Like though, again, opening scene, I get that opening scene with Ricardo Montalban loved very into it. And then he just kind of like lost all that credibility. I also just, and this is just an aesthetic thing. I hated the look. They're, they're like Mad Max vibes. Oh, yeah. I just as a, because to me, I'm, I don't know. It, and maybe it's just aesthetics, but it, it definitely, I mean, was like, to Meh. be fair, that came out before Mad Max. That is a good point. Even still, so. still not so. <laughs> but overall, I did enjoy. I did enjoy this story. I like this idea. And again, this is very much like, it reminded me of the faculty, obviously, because like the brain worms controlling, you have no choice. You have to conform to whatever these things tell you to do. Mm -hmm. I thought that that whole idea of a lack of autonomy is so sinister just in anything, in horror, in whatever, where it's like, I am compelled by this thing, but I don't want to do it. That idea of being forced Mm -hmm. despite your best wishes. And truly one of the saddest parts to the point of taking your own life in this one. Ugh. And I know that moment was like very quick and just it kind of happened, but he's just like, no, I'm done. And you're like, you're like, holy shit. And then uh, somehow like check okay. out got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I so, super, super get yeah. it. And like you saying that, I'm just like, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think what I liked about this con is I actually saw them as a villain. Whereas in the next one, they're not a villain at all, and they are just wronged by the government and capitalism and all of this. Like we don't, we don't have any of the context that we do for this one, where he's not doing anything inherent, like inherently bad. He's wronging the people that wronged him, and he at every point just kind of like is like, "Look, I know that I'm stronger than you, but here, take me prisoner." Whereas this one is just like, this one I feel was more of a test for Kirk, whereas. Kirk now had to face the very real actions of what he had done um, because he marooned these people after a trial uh, 15 years ago with just the stuff they had and containers. And okay, cool, there was the wildlife. But like to go so far as to forget that these beings exist and not like check up on them or whatever or like have like some sort of routine thing through Starfleet, you know, just to make sure that they're still there and that they're not like causing havoc throughout the universe or anything and then like also for Chekhov to like or, or for it to not even be in like the Starfleet databank so it's like oh yeah we're in uh the SETI alpha system and uh well there's a planet here that we need to avoid like to not even have that kind of context and then when Chekhov like looks at it at uh Khan he's like oh shit you know um and 
I don't know. I, I liked that idea of Kirk having to face the consequences of his actions and yes. that and seeing how that not only affects him and his crew and the people that were involved with that, but also like the generations after them. So like a lot of trainees die. He has to like sit there and see this kid that's like, hey, I did the thing. And he had to be like, boy. And it did linger on like those moments for a second. But I liked that this is all coming about because of Kirk. And yeah, <laughs> I I personally just really, really liked that because like, his ego is just so big and he's like, you know, when he's hesitant, like it just leads to more destruction for everybody. And he tries to follow intuition, but intuition isn't always good, especially for men that ignore rules. Right. And he's like unable to see his flaws. He is always like just so overconfident. And so to see him be small for a minute. Yeah. I liked that. Well, also just in a general writing perspective, the subplot of him having to face his fatherhood in, in the same way that it's like, you've done this thing, now you have to face the consequences of your actions for essentially doing like this test and creating this civilization and, and kind of abandoning them. In the same way now, you've created this other life and abandoned that life, and you're ha- now having to like reconcile both things simultaneously, where it really just makes you look like an asshole. <laughs> It's at every like regardless of the context you still looked like a bad guy and i mean i know that they had like the dad moment like dad son situation but even then i'm like kirk you suck man <laughs> you're just like like you're just not you're not great i also like with that whole subplot i didn't like how that was framed where it was while he's wrapping his head around like having to be confronted with fatherhood right he's kind of lashing out at carol where he's like yeah um, where he's saying like i did what you wanted i stayed away why didn't you tell him about me and then like he has this line where he's like that could have been my life but you took that away from me when clearly i mean he's not that type and so it kind of reframed it as like carol was the bad guy for taking his son away from him and he didn't like accept any sort of ownership in that and while he's dealing with this i mean like everybody is still having to carry the emotional weight this whole thing is about carrying the weight of kirk's shortcomings and of his downfalls and of his emotions and his actions because like everybody continuously asks how he's feeling and he doesn't answer and he doesn't want to talk to anybody about it but they all have to carry that. And he never yes. once asks anybody how they're feeling. And, and he's never able to to come to terms with that until he's looking at his best friend's dead body, yeah. you know, who he took, he absolutely took for granted in life. So I loved that every moment he was having to face those in such a real way. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that I struggle with anything Kirk related, just because the the sort of motif that he carries within himself, the characteristic of like, it's going to work out. Like, don't worry, it's going to work out. Sure, technically it will, but literally no thanks to you and thanks to everyone else who's picking up your slack. And that's the only reason you've been able to luck out. And then when... Of course it will happen. Somebody you love dies. Then suddenly you have to go into Batman mode and cause even more meaningless chaos and death to prove what point that you can't cry or that you can't ask for help or that you can't be vulnerable. It's it's it is. He is like the pinnacle of toxic masculinity in this way Mm -hmm. where he is just 
he is so unempathetic and so self-centered. His ego is literally at the forefront of everything when it comes to sex, when it comes to adventure, when it comes to just existing. Nothing's ever his fault, but he's always the hero to take the credit for things that other people accomplished for him. And I do, and again, it's yeah. just, it is him pawning that stuff off. And I know that that's not necessarily the in- like the intention intention, but that is kind of a part of the this flawed hero, so to speak, with Kirk. And that is kind of the imbued, some big air quotes charm that he has, where he mm-hmm. is kind of just like a big silly himbo who lets people die. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and it's it's also so weird because like they try to, or I feel like he's specifically coupled with Spock, right? Who Spock is very in control of himself. He's very logical. He does have emotions and like, yes, the Vulcans do like suppress them or like, you know, reconcile them, you know, like um, it, it's like a whole thing. But Spock is just like kind of constantly like, belittled or like that is used against him that like how do you not feel right like you know i'm scared how i how do i not feel this and he's just like dude i feel these things you know these these are very real right and so to constantly put spock down for not exuding these emotions when these two white characters kirk and bones are um sorry dr mccoy bones is dr mccoy um, but when when those two male characters right are just kind of like either shitting on everything or just like you know trying to like be suave about everything they put somebody down that sees everything too logically and that you know doesn't allow their emotions to guide their will right yeah. but in doing that these two dudes like you never see any sort of emotion from them at all and you actually like and i feel like you see way more emotion from spock who's not supposed to have any by character right and i i just thought that was so interesting like pairing them together so this person that seems to have no emotion can then make up for that and make it seem like kirk has emotion so like elevating kirk by the absence of emotion in this character and then and it's it's by acknowledging it as the character and saying you're emotionless like you only see logic. It's sort of trying to persuade us into believing that he understands his own emotions because he can acknowledge like the idea of emotions when in fact he's just, he is almost just as emotionless because he is so stubborn in his unwillingness to have empathy or his unwillingness to communicate his vulnerabilities to others. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because Spock literally feels like in every instance, like, they're in like a group project at school and it's like the two guys are like, don't worry, we're going to get any on this regardless. doesn't matter. Let's go just do whatever. And it's like, yeah, cause I'm going to do all the work for you. Fucking asshole. Like <laughs> that's why you get good grades. It's like, fuck it. I do the project for you every time. And I'm good at this. Like, and like, okay. Spock is like the truest ally and the truest hero in this, even though he's like the, the story is not centered around him. He's just kind of around. Right. And everything that he does, he like accepts imperfection and doesn't see it as a weakness. So like uses imperfections as like teachable moments or as, you know, like exploring philosophy almost with students to to kind of like allow them to come to their own conclusions or, you know, yeah. like through the Kobayashi Maru and everything, like even though that makes Christy Alley or Savick, uh, even though that makes her look not great, Spock is the one that's like, hey, have you like immediately gives her uh, like another big opportunity and says, hey, have you ever taken a starship out? Why don't you take this out? Like, you know, we got you. And then Bones is like, well, I hope you have your seatbelt on. 
And I'm like, oh, stop it. You suck. But um, yeah. but like so he's positioning these um, his students to like, you know, like um, Kirk asks him like, hey, are they are they going to do it? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. He has full faith in all of his students. And he also willingly gives control to Kirk. He's like, look, I don't have an ego. You can take the ship. He's like, well, but I mean, it's your ship. And he's like, look, protocol is protocol. Just take it. It's fine. I don't need this. You're my friend. We're cool, right? Like, and like this absence of ego, I love. And I love because that also works to make Kirk look even worse. And then like in the end too, like he sees what needs to happen because of the warp core breach without saying anything to fucking anybody like and nobody's paying attention to him because they're all like just so wrapped up in themselves he just fucking goes he goes and he does the thing unceremoniously saves the ship and when he's confronted he's like hey it was the right thing to do it's the right thing to do spock is the ultimate hero he is the ultimate good in my opinion despite his sort of like I mean, the whole imbalance of his own inner person is this idea of logic versus emotion. And like, Mm -hmm. it's again, the Vulcan versus the human. But at the end of the day, Spock is literally the best. He's he is the hero. He is the one who regularly does heroic acts, egoless heroic acts and kind of saves the day on behalf of Kirk. And is like, he's my best friend and he is the hero. It's like, Spock stop like let him fail (laughs) fucking let him fail you're the one doing it all and so this is something too like the Kobayashi Maru at the beginning when Kirk is having that conversation about like how he changed the rules so he could win because he doesn't like to lose it's literally the most it's like the perfect example of like failing up through like cis whiteness and like male whiteness in general this idea of like well, this is a test to test in this impossible scenario. He's like, well, I just changed the test. And then the teachers are like, wow, he literally just changed the test. So smart and so interesting. He cheated and because he was bad at this other test to make himself look good. And now the teachers are singing his praises because he thought outside the box. Yeah, I could think outside the box too. I could bring my own algebra one test to a trigonometry test, ace it, and then be like, can you believe how good I am at trigonometry? Amazing. Like, no, it's a different <laughs> fucking test, you asshole. Like, and that, I was just like, that's silly. And then also this idea where like, he's so smart because he had this whole other plan of cooking when they're sitting in the Genesis or where it's in, mm-hmm. that, in the uh, planetoid. They're at like the, the little cave and they're just like talking, whatever. And then he's just like, is it done? Great. We're going. They're like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, I've had this whole thing going and we've actually just been stalling. I don't <laughs> believe in a no win scenario. And yeah. I was like, motherfucker, Shh. like that again, that's not the point of this test. And literally all you're doing is is empowering um like cool think outside of the box i'm down for that but when you're literally unwilling to recognize that there are messy things where there isn't necessarily a good or like a hundred percent correct choice i mean like the fact that you would cheat around those parameters just to pass the test and just to show like that show of ego how much does that say about like Kirk like I feel like like this really just this movie told you everything that you need to know about Kirk oh like, yeah on on a true deep personal level I mean this this was Kirk's movie and this was showing him or yeah. this was showing the audience what he was and the damage that somebody like him causes yeah you know when left and the next one too especially when left unchecked and everything oh, yeah. you know 
and like the whole movie too like it starts off with him like just being the like quintessential i'm old meme where he's like surrounded by all of these antiques and these like <laughs> antique guns and shit and he's like another I'm birthday old. alone <laughs> and you're like okay but like you're like what 40 you're fine just get the fuck out there like stop isn't, isn't this illegal i use it for medicinal I, I use it medicinally like sh- this and is I'm such like, a okay fucking contraband sh- for like these senior ass officers <laughs> like you guys you're both above the law fucking white men but yeah, I like he literally was just so horny for somebody to say, "Hey, come out of retirement. We need you." Like that's what he was. He wanted to somebody to beg him to come back cuz that's what he wanted and that's what he knew that he wanted. You know what I mean? But like his ego was just so big that he's like, "I need them to beg me. Yeah. I need them to need me Which because is I'm so... better than them. They need to need me for me to come back." Yeah. He's just so toxic. He's so fucking trash. Like every every kind of gotcha moment, every moment of he's like, well, I had a plan all along. It it never it never came from a place of like, oh wow, yeah, like he's so confident. It came from a place of luck and pure danger. Like you're putting the lives of so many people in danger for your barely half-assed plan. That mm-hmm. that historically does oftentimes not work. Or by some genuine stroke of luck, it works, and then you take credit for it. Having admitted and knowing full well that you did not orchestrate these happenstances, and, like, that's what you base your entire pride on. Like, that is the... (laughs) He's not even doing, like, breaking rules for, like, any sort of good reason, you know? Because, I like, I mean... When these these kinds of like outside of the box scenarios are used and exploited for your own personal gain and worse than that, just like literally your fucking ego, like just so you can feel smart and you could be like, look, see, he, 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 I did it. Aren't I so smart? I'm better than you. Captain Kirk is literally a cop and I fucking hate it. <laughs> It, in that same that it's all ego driven. Even it's though he's based... trying not to be a cop, especially yes. in the second one in the and... in the. He's like well, anti, like, fuck you, snitched well, on me. That's the whole deal <laughs> is like, that is the epitome of a cop. That's the epitome of that where it's like, I don't play by the rules of this system. I can do whatever I want because I'm smarter than everybody. No, you're literally the stupidest person here. You literally have no intelligence and you literally don't care about people's lives. You don't consider the lives of anybody around you, you fucking monster. Like, you are such trash. So he, the whole time, just... He shows cop behavior at every point. <laughs> he is just a cop. Like, I mean, regardless. <laughs> his character is really, like, the main reason why I haven't watched um, the original series. Um, I've watched so basically off-putting. everything outside of that. And yeah. I love Spock. I love Sulu. I love Uhura. I love these characters. And, like, Kirk, for me, just kind of ruins it because he is so central to the narrative, at least in, like, the other the other iterations of Star Trek, like that kind of character is not centralized and is not held up as the pinnacle of goodness and what this looks like and morality. That person is generally like second in command or maybe like just a commander or just a lieutenant, you know? But I struggle a lot with Kirk because I mean, sure, it can be like silly and fun if you like turn off your brain, but I don't know. Something about him, I've just never loved. But even, even turning off my brain with Kirk... Even the sort of more subdued background noise of his character still piques my interest in a negative way. 
Like, no matter what he does, even if I'm like, oh, well, this is just a fine story, he'll say or do something that I'm like, you're an asshole. Like, you are bad. Yes. You're a bad guy. You're a bad man. <laughs> and and there's a reason why, like, Spock is basically in literally every iteration. Spock or his family or, like, somebody, like, close to him is in every single Star Trek. And it's because Spock is the greatest. And, and I makes, love him. It makes sense also why when this movie was coming out and word got out that Spock, spoiler alert, dies, people wrote, like, death threats to the studio and, like, they were so furious that they literally had to write in that sort of post-sequence discovery scene, which sort of allows the plot of the next film to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, that was very much a haphazard after the fact, fuck, we should tease it a little bit. Otherwise, people are going to hate this. And then the whole next movie is The Search for Spock, which yeah. is incredible. Because Search got... for Spock, and then the next one about the whales, like, fuck me up. I love, like, this. this is, like... This is cinema, this this but, movie, right? And then the next two are just fucking silly. amazing camp, and yeah. I love them. And I, yeah, they're incredible. But, well, I ju- it is just interesting the fact that, and it's not, I mean, I guess it's not interesting, it makes sense, that the fandom was so, Spock is such a beloved staple in this IP, in this idea of Star Trek, that their letters literally changed the course of the cinematic universe of this first Star Trek, where it's like, you you literally can't kill him. If you kill him, we're done. I think the reason that people did that is because more than any other character on the show, Spock represents, like, the struggle that so many of us have in like mentally between logic and emotion like you know that you need to stay away from some toxic person and logic tells you this but your emotions like that's really hard or you know like like these these um philosophical um questions and like these big giant emotional um ordeals that we have to go through where it's like we're always trying to find that balance between logic and emotion. And we want to, you know, uh, some of us more than others want to be a little romantic or a little spontaneous, but that's not always conducive to like actual life. So I think in so many ways, Spock just embodies like the true human experience and uh, humanity itself in a way that Kirk and all of the other humans on the, on the show never could. Well, Kirk says it himself at the funeral. Spock is the most human, was the most human person I'd ever met, right? Or like I'm paraphrasing, yes. but like yes. that's part of the eulogy is he had the most humanity of any person I've ever met. And then it's like, what is humanity? Like, because now you're getting like, are you speciesist? Are you racist? Like, what well, are yeah. you? And, like, and, so and coming coming from Kirk, it's a problem. But just in general, like as it is exemplified in his character and why he is kind of like the audience surrogate to some degree, because again... I really only think I empathized or understood where Spock was coming from, even in the second one. Like, I do want to get into that, like, fight scene when they're on the plane where he's like, I did feel, but I chose not to do that because I've, you know, that whole thing. Like, it's it's a very human thing to be both rational and irrational simultaneously, to be both emotional and sort of discerning between all of these chaotic entities all happening at once. I mean, that's kind of the most human thing. Because we are complex. We are these wild, wildly complex individuals. And for Spock to that literally be his whole character is he's half this, half this. That's always boop, 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 butting its head. That's the character. Most human shit in the world. But fuck Kirk. <laughs> I just, you know what? I, I mean, so fuck Kirk. With Kirk, 
first of all, I really dislike that he got um, the recognition from his son being like, hey, I know you're my dad and I'm so proud to be your son. I did not like that. Um, Literally. Second. So bad. Second. I think what Kirk, like this stereotype of a character that he created, I like everything that that kind of spawned. Or not everything, but I, I think that's like something that has been fun historically. In, and when it is played up for satire or, you know, like just as the ridiculousness of this kind of character, you know, because that character is always like Zep Brannigan, never taken seriously and just always like kind of gross. And like, you know what he is, like, you know, yes. right? Yeah. And so uh, I think that those are very, f- like can be very fun because even when like a character like that is being like, you know, derogatory towards women or something, it is always making them look bad, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I like those iterations and I recognize that this is kind of like where this started. Also, um, speaking of where this started, this uh, film, I read somewhere that it was the first one to use computer graphics or the a whole computer graphics section Ooh, yeah so that's cool good on star trek another first gorge 82 shout out and also like how shitty that carol's life's work was taken away from her by white male rage truly how shitty like she didn't get to do the thing that she wanted to do and like didn't even like really get to like see it like she had to like fucking run away with um with enterprise and sure they went back and everything and that's like a search for spock that's a whole thing but like that sucks yeah there i mean it's hard because as a whole i like this movie but there is a lot within it that like this is gonna sound harsh that i couldn't necessarily care less about kirk being one of them a lot of just the like justification and like the way that a lot of like the wrapping up happy endings of some of these subplots and like ideas doesn't make any sense. It's really just to like end the movie. Cause again, I do feel like they set up some really great characters. They set up some big questions, but then as soon as like it kind of gets a little bit tricky to answer or the character becomes a little too complex, it's like, Oh, shut it down. Nope. Make the character boring again. Don't answer that question. Here's a happy ending. Make him good. Leave him good. End the movie. Later Star Treks don't do that. Just saying. I um, and I'm but... I'm ha- happy to be involved. <laughs> with that. And again, I, I am happy that I watched this. I'm happy that like I got to at least experience it to critique it. But it is one of those things where it it does feel like about halfway through it was kind of like abandon ship, <laughs> get out. Overall, huge improvement from the first one. Um, I guess like they took Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, off of this movie. Um, so because he was really involved with the first one but they like took him off of this movie and were like here do something go and it's interesting how star trek has evolved without gene roddenberry because like i feel like next gen i feel like next gen was good but they were kind of held back because he didn't want there to be any money he didn't want there to be any like this type of conflict he was very like precise about the type of conflict that they were allowed to have And then that's why after his passing, um, when DS9 came into fruition, capitalism is back and it is bad, bad. There's a whole character that was basically created, Quark, as kind of like a the writers finally can do what they want 
So, like, he is, like, this capitalist fucking pig, and it's incredible. Um, But then, like, they were also able to get into, like, conflict and war and, like, religion and, like, just these really, really, really complex character arcs and, like, and story beats to where there is not a, a right or wrong and, like, get into these, like, moral gray areas in a way that... I feel like Next Gen did a, a little bit more philosophically, a little bit more gently, and then like just like DS9 it's... just really hammered into it. So it's it's interesting to see how it started versus how it's going. <laughs> Should we do the next one? Let's do it. Okay. After blatantly ignoring the Prime Directive to save Spock, Captain James T. Kirk is demoted to First Officer under Captain Pike, who assumes control over the USS Enterprise. However, soon after he is demoted, a group of senior officers, Pike included, are killed during an attack at Starfleet headquarters by mysterious character John Harrison putting Kirk back in charge of the USS Enterprise. The crew is ordered to use a long-range missile to bomb Kronos, the Klingon homeworld, where Harrison is hiding out, but reluctantly decides to take Spock's advice and bring Harrison into custody so he can face trial instead. There is a short fight with Klingons before Harrison willingly surrenders to Kirk after hearing his ship is carrying 72 special missiles. Ooh. Harrison (laughs) tells Kirk to use his brain to investigate the missiles and not just blindly follow orders because something is wrong, just like his friends were saying all along. What? Harrison is actually famed Star Trek Betty Khan? That's so wild. Anyway, he was right. And there's a bunch of shady stuff happening with Admiral Marcus involving war preparations. Super not typical Starfleet MO. And live humans in the torpedoes? <gasps> Khan and Kirk form an alliance to take Marcus down, who turns out was going to use the Enterprise to start a war on the Klingons. It seems impossible until Scotty, who previously left the Enterprise because of this weird stuff, finds himself on the new super-secret battle starship and sneaks Khan and Kirk aboard. They take control of the bridge. Kirk betrays Khan for no reason. Dr. McCoy removes the bodies from the torpedoes. Torpedoes blow up Khan's ship. Kirk dies, saving the Enterprise from a warp core breach. Spock cries and fights Khan in San Francisco. Khan is taken hostage again, and his blood is used to bring Kirk back to life. Khan and his crew are put back on ice and left unattended in space. Truly the final frontier. So I do want to jump in just because the last one we jumped in on con initially. I want to jump in on this con. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I know you're going to disagree with me. I like this con more because of how consistently sinister the character is and how he continues to heighten that, that like sinister nature. Like he's sort of like aloof. It's scary, mysterious, but very strong. Obviously we should be afraid of him, but something's not right. Like that's the whole vibe. And then by the end of it, he's just straight up like, fuck you. I'll kill myself to kill you. I don't give a shit. Like I literally have no stake in this game anymore. I will do whatever it takes to destroy you. Whereas like, that's like this heightened version of the character we met. So I liked that he kept going higher and higher despite some like, In this one, I still feel like he is, like, the smartest, like, two steps ahead character, as emblematic by some of the action in the earlier scenes. The idea that, like, he wouldn't think that they would take the bodies out of the missiles to send the missiles. I was a little like, I feel like he would have caught that. I feel like he would have been like, do you think I'm a fool? Do you play me for a (laughs) fool? You know what I mean? But the movie needs to happen, Eric. They need to end the movie again. Yeah, I know. I know the movie needs to happen. So to that to that effect, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Like, 
he did great. And I also just, I really liked Cumberbatch's performance. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of like, I remember seeing this in theaters and being like, who the fuck is this? Because for American audiences, I think this was his like breakout into Western media. Because he was obviously a big star in the theater and in the UK, right? Like he was Yeah, he did a lot of TV shows. I think like I first noticed him during Sherlock. Yes. Um, okay. So yeah. he was like he was very well known. He was by all means famous, but for a lot myself included, a lot of American viewers, this was the first interaction with him. So he's like top billing in this movie of people everyone's familiar with for the most part, Chris Pine at his prime, and he's a fucking nobody kind of. Mm-hmm. That was also really interesting for me where I was like, who the fuck? Initially, it made it scarier because it was literally like, I don't know this person. I don't know them. Oh, interesting. And they're, and they're being scary and like really good at being scary. Fuck. <laughs> I had the is... opposite reaction because I already knew him and some of his okay. work. So I was like, fuck yeah, he's going to be like, and I don't, I I don't know if I knew when I first watched this movie that he was going to be Khan. Like, I think I heard a rumor that Khan was going to be there. But because, like, you know, the twist and at, like, the second act is that he is Khan, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I totally lost it. Um, and I was really stoked. Um, I, Eric, we can change, right? Yes. We can change. Yes. And I think I'm going to do that here live on this pod. Because after talking about, and this this is why we talk about media, right? And things that we love <laughs> yes. with other people that have different opinions and you re-examine some of your choices. I think I do just have like some weird ass nostalgia for that con in the original one. I think the choices and the character buildup for this con felt much better to me because his decisions and his uh, his story arc and his um, his character was just so much more well thought out and well paced and like each action had an effect on his character that drove him to the next part that drove him yeah. to the next part rather yeah. than halfway through he's not smart anymore we and he's just gonna kill everybody for no reason like we see him and and I also really love that when we see him and we don't know him as Khan we're not setting up that expectation for like Star Trek viewers right so it's giving you some insight into him and how he is and who he is right and he's just a person that was genetically engineered with these other people that were put on ice because i don't think in this one there's any context for like some eugenics war or anything and also just for everybody this is a separate universe right this is like a parallel multiverse type thing and so when spock calls spock and he's like, oh, Khan is like the worst person, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah. People can be different in each universe, right? They don't have to be the same. So I just want to say that because I don't feel like Khan in this one was a bad guy. I feel like he was just a victim that was being used as a scapegoat for the government of the 1990s. And then also when he was revived, literally was just like used by Starfleet he was exploited to make weapons for Starfleet so he could save his people. And every choice that he made was for those 72 people. And even though, like, the people that, like, awoke him, so to speak, or whatever, betrayed him and all of that, he still, like, all of his attacks were very targeted. He attacked, so I, for context, if you are like Eric and don't know a lot about Star Trek, Section 31 is, like, 
it's like the super, super, super secret organization that nobody knows about that carries out the things that like can't be sanctioned officially by uh, by Starfleet and also like some weird ass temporal shit. And like they're fucking bad. They're bad. They're not to be trusted. And everybody is expendable to them. Right. Um, for whatever they're monitoring, like all of these war efforts, they're doing this, like you never know with Section 31. So the library, quote unquote, that he went after, that he had bombed, was a Section 31 base. So he went after the baddest of the bad in Starfleet. And then knowing that it was going to bring these senior officers that he, he really wanted to get Marcus, right? So literally did in the bad people and then went and like targeted like these senior officers that fucked him up right and that like exploited him that were just doing everything they could to start more destruction and you know like in response to quote-unquote like Vulcan being destroyed you know because now they have to you know they're giving into fear and paranoia so to me all of that made sense and even after being exploited, he went and when he met Kirk, he was like, oh, you're going to help me? Great. Cool. I'm done now. You can handcuff me. Take me to your ship. Yeah. That's fine. You know, and Kirk, like, I have a lot to say about Kirk, but Kirk is like, oh, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to beat you up after you surrender. Right. And literally can't do anything. Clearly, this con is stronger, more intelligent, more in control of himself. He literally just wants to save himself and his people. That's it. That's it. And he's still willing to believe in humanity and still willing to believe in people until they prove that they cannot be trusted and that they are, in fact, going to hurt him. Oh, absolutely. It's also, like, such an interesting take on, like, what is considered bad because it is so contextual. Like, understandably so, he is, like, bad because he's done bad things. But really, in fact, like the the reveal of the call is coming from inside of the house when they're on the ship and he's like yeah fuck it kill the whole ship and it's like his predecessor's predecessor like the lead inside starfleet like daddy starfleet himself is just like turn of a dime like oh yeah no we're gonna go ahead and kill all of you now yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it like yeah. i'm actually the worst bad everyone's like what the fuck i thought that that was fucking fantastic for all of the same reasons just in terms of like Khan is just reacting to this incredibly bad thing that Starfleet did to him and his people. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he's trying and to do it with his innocence. little... Yeah. I mean, he's still, like, murdering people. Yes, <laughs> which that is... is very true. But I, I think just as a character, like, when we're talking about, like, building the stakes or heightening already established stakes. This movie does re a really good job because his character introduction is him going to meet this family where they're like, kid is sick. And you think it's like this, whatever thing, the next thing you know, it's this reintroduction of the, like the brain worm concept where mm -hmm. this guy is walking into his job at this library, taking off a ring, the rings, a bomb that, whoa like that developing that as a scene to sort of establish who they're about to start dealing with mm -hmm. i thought was just like it i'm like oh yeah 
this is this is like the baddest of the fucking bad. Like this is terrible. And in the scene again, it's like, who's this strange person on Kronos? He's just like killing him, and it's like he's the guy. And then he shows up, and he's like, hey, so I'm gonna fuck you guys up. And they're like, no, we have missiles. He's like, how many did you say there were? Seventy two. He's like, sick. Let's go to your ship. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> like, what? <laughs> like no, for sure. Like I'm good. Let's just go to your ship and go there because I'm done here. I already said I'm done. I'm not going to fight. So whatever you guys want to do, we can do it. Um, just the, the the level of like unexpectedness in that moment also where it's like most baddies are very expected where it's like, oh, they're going to fight and they're going to lose, but it's not going to be that bad. And then they're going to follow him again and fight again. Like that's the whole thing. In this, he literally saves them and then shows up and he's like, I actually surrender. And it's like, what? What? Ah. And then just the whole sequence of like, him monologuing in his jail cell, but also like him kind of like teasing it. We're like, they're saying something. He's like, Oh, you mean this very specific thing that I shouldn't know about? And they're like, and he doesn't, how do you know about that? He doesn't need, he doesn't need to like say his whole plot at once, which is like something that is so overdone in film. Right. He's just like, go look for yourself. Right. And like his, like the way that he fits, like I really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, the way that his body throughout the movie just physically transforms into kind of a monster to where in the cell, then he just, he looks completely different. He is not like, he is not Harrison anymore. He a thousand percent is con. And you're like, the this, line he was created by Starfleet this way. This, Starfleet is the reason that con exists in this capacity. And I like that it is sort of a, a calling to this, this idea that like, Sure, in the general idea of like heroicism and like we are the seers of the universe and like whatever, it's like you've also done some bad shit. I am literally the embodiment of some of the negligence that you've tried to hide, that you've tried to sweep under the rug, and I'm here to f- fuck your shit up. I'm here to remind you that this history exists, mm-hmm. that you can't get away with this. Um, the line when he just says, "You should have let me sleep." Yeah. <laughs> I like, I was just like, there's no, that was incredible. He's like, you should have let me sleep. I'm like, oh oh my God, he's so scary. Like, yeah, that's terrifying. And also as a meme, like me looking at my phone when the alarm goes off, (laughs) like, oh, you should have let me sleep. I mean, there's a lot of really wonderful little moments there, but so menacing and so terrifying like Mm -hmm. he really was fucked and like bad and even in the end like he just kept getting stronger and stronger like when they're fighting in san francisco on that like moving carriage he's getting stunned over and over and he's still just like whatever 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 i don't care this doesn't hurt me he's getting like smacked with metal and he's like okay so what next like it is Mm -hmm. truly a really good portrayal of how to heighten an already bad character like even at the final moments when it's like, we're going to win, obviously, there's still a chance of like, this person might not be beatable. This might not work. And he's work. not in the end, right? They have to... They uh, put him back to sleep. Put him yep. back to sleep and yep. just set them all afloat because they're like, not going to touch that. That's for yeah. somebody else. But yeah, I, I that was really cool too, I think. I really do like how bad... Um, what is what is the character? Daddy Starfleet. I'm gonna just call him Daddy Starfleet. What is his character's Do it. name? Uh, Marcus Pike. Um, oh, Marcus. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, like, in I mean, they're both uh, Daddy Starfleet, but just like 
both of them are like supposed to represent badness and goodness in Starfleet, but like uh it's interesting because I think they're both bad and like one of them is just their badness is reframed as goodness, quote unquote. Because, like, Marcus is just, like, toxic daddy, has always been disappointed in everybody, hates everybody, wants to go to war. But Pike, he specifically, like, goes and gives Kirk a pass for things that he literally should not get a pass for. You know, he, like, tries to tell him that, I'm mad at you for breaking the rules. You're bad. And, like, not just the rules, but the prime directive, the number one rule in the book that's what Kirk breaks, right? And yeah. he just gets demoted just to to the second in command on a starship on the one with the crew that he convinced to commit this act of basically mutiny like against Starfleet, yeah. right? And like there's this whole scene of like, well, you fucked up. You think the rules don't apply to you. You lied on your report. You were supposed to do a survey. I hated that talk because then within that, he still was just like, you know what, you don't respect anyone or anything and you're not ready, but it's okay because I made sure that you're my number two because I believe you deserve a second chance. What the fuck about anything about Kirk makes you think that he deserves a second chance because he his whole character, more so than the last one, I have a big problem with because literally his character is like, rules are for others, I'm going to win no matter what, everything is going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Well, that's kind of what I love about this movie is this sort of turning over the leaf of the military industrial complex as a concept, just in terms of like rules and how they don't necessarily apply. And again, the movie opens with him literally breaking the one rule not to break, which is disturb the civilizations or make yourself known like they're developing. You cannot show that you were there to help. That's the vibe. Don't fuck it up. And again, he got away with it. It's like, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. And that also goes for killing people, innocent people, destroying communities, destroying nations. You can do whatever the fuck you want because at the end of the day, we write the rules and we can rewrite them however we want to do it. And Khan is literally the embodiment of that active badness as it permeates through the universe he exists because of that badness and how strong and palpable that badness has become because of the festering unchecked fleet starfleet like i at least with daddy starfleet daddy starfleet knows exactly what he's doing he's bad but he uses bad in a bad system and continues to perpetuate badness he gets the assignment he's like i know this whole thing is bad I'm going to be bad within the thing. I'm going to be rich for it. Gorgeous. He knows the assignment. Second in command, Daddy Starfleet. <laughs> uh, middle, middle, Kirk. Middle Daddy. Kirk, middle Daddy. Step Daddy. He is problematic and also like dangerous because he's still trying to see the optimism in a system that's forged in this badness but thinks it's okay to sometimes break the rules because he sees the good in individual people, but isn't willing to see the big picture badness of this contribution to this bad entity. And then you have the young Kirk who is literally just like, I'm a rebel. I didn't even want to be here. Fuck this place. Like you convinced me to be here. I didn't even care about this. It's about human lives or whatever. But you see like all of these stages, it seems like 
they always start as like the bad, I don't care about human life, I only care about ego. Then they move on to the greater good daddy, but sometimes the greater good means killing people too. Granddaddy, fuck it, kill them all, let's be rich. Which well, largely... And so, <laughs> yeah. so, and I know that I, I brought this up in the first one too, or, yeah. or maybe it was the Patreon, I can't remember, but... I understand why people don't like these movies and mm-hmm. like that that like Star Trek like the TV shows and it's because that's not Starfleet because Starfleet has and uh I don't know I mentioned this but Starfleet is about exploration, acceptance, um sharing of technologies and ideas and growing culturally and those sort of ideas, right? That we we are alone in the universe. We're connected and we can share this space and we can do this like, you know, and respect each other. And these movies are very much it paints Starfleet as a military complex, as a military institution when that's not yeah. at all what Starfleet is like or is supposed to be like, you know, sure, there is like a Section 31 or there is like a thing. And like those like later Star Treks will get into that and they always paint that as bad and badness because the first thing that they're supposed to do is peace, exploration, science, and help people that are experiencing war, like, reconcile their differences, like, peace, whatever, like, through. Uh, But it's, like, it's never just, like, the human white guy that's coming up, right? (laughs) But anyways, um, but they are not a military, right? And in this one, they very much are. And in this one, it's fast-paced in a way that makes it feel, like, it's more centered on action and not necessarily good action just like action and military and yeah all of that stuff is not supposed to be starfleet so that's that's one of my biggest problems with these movies is it takes that specialness away from that and all it's doing is imposing our current times ideas on (laughs) or you know our current times on like on this timeline that is 300 years in the future that is not just supposed to be good or bad if there is good and bad then there is a spectrum and then we're talking about it and then we're like exploring this and exploring choice in a much more interesting and better way than yeah. just like cool we're a military now kill them all i i'm i'm very ignorant to what starfleet is supposed to be in star trek um so not having really that exposure. Yeah, this movie di- doesn't go- do a good job at setting it up. So it sounds like they turned like the National Park Service into the LAPD. Like something that's supposed to be centered yes. around like just general exploration and goodness with a little bit of observation. And a and little maybe bit of help tad- if you need And it. a little bit of hope. You need, like- you need some medical supplies? Here you go. Exactly. Right. Yes, but that's then a they really just good comparison. Straight up into the LAPD where it's just like, fuck it, kill him. Who Cop cares? Gangs, Bar- the whole thing. Bar- yes. Yes. Okay. Yes interesting and i mean to be fully fair yeah this movie straight up was just like a paramilitary industrial complex narrative i mean and to that effect i did like it because i mean they were painted as the bad guys which yay truly Um, i mean i always love that but uh that is so interesting if 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 my experience with starfleet was as you're describing it I could go into this and be like, you know what? That's kind of fucked up. <laughs> I don't really like that that much. Well, and context is everything, right? And so because I have now. a different experience with the franchise than you do, like we have these different takes on this movie and who it's for and what it's saying and stuff. Oh, yeah. And so I love I love that we're able to get different things out of this because of that that context too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um I loved Spock. I love Spock in this. 
I think Spock is very good. I like so I brought it up in the first when we were talking about the first one, but the scene when they're descending onto Kronos and it's how do you say her name? Uhura? Uhura. Uhura. Okay, so I do I do want to bring this up. Every time you say it, there is a drag queen who was on UK Drag Race season two whose name uh-huh. is Uhura. But it's spelled A W H O R A, like a whore uh. Like that's the oh. vibe. Cause she's she's kind of a slut, so that's like the deal. Got it. <laughs> so Ahura. <laughs> um so yes, when they're when they're uh descending on a Kronos and there is the tension between Ahura and Spock and tension between Spock and Kirk. And Ahura decides to like bring up the conversation as to like you were just going to die. You didn't consider me at all. Which, again, is very valid. Like, understanding the mission and everything, absolutely, that is, like, yes. I loved this dialogue just in terms of, like, a very. it's a very real thing. Like, I'm mad at you for that. Like, what the fuck? You didn't, I'm, I don't matter. I'm not important to you. Like, I should I just not exist? But I did like the response of that logic versus emotion just in terms of, like, I've experienced that. And I know just, I know that when you die, that's what happens and that's what you experience. I chose not to experience that at the moments of my death. That was an embrace of it. That wasn't a dismissal of like who I am to you or who you are to me. It was just simply a, I can't experience that again. Yeah. Which is like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yes, that's so... It's Again, so intense. depth in Spock, depth of That's this character, and amazing. when confronted, he will absolutely talk about it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, He'll bring it up there's, whenever. There's no ego in like, no, I'm fine, right? He's just like, no. And that's that was the first time that she really talked to him about that, and like. I didn't really like Ahura in this um, because, like, she's just kind of painted as, to me at least, she's painted as just the upset girlfriend who's mad all the time and who isn't really capable. So, like, she's just, like, pissed at Spock in the elevator and she's pissed over here and, like, she doesn't make time to talk to him before going down there. And then, like, nobody fucking believes in her except Spock. Like, she... And that's something that all of the women in this have to do, which there's two. They literally have to... She has to say... You brought me here because I speak Klingon. Let me speak Klingon. And Kirk's like, uh, whatever. But she goes and does it. And then she fails, right? And she still has to be saved by the boys. And then Carol, too, every single time she talks, she's like, hey, let me do this. And the men are like, no, we're not going to let you do that. It's okay. And the women just keep asking men to have faith in them. And except for Spock... They don't. Spock is also like, oh, you're here. You're not supposed to be here with Carol, right? Uh, You're here. You're not supposed to be here. Why are you here? Okay, cool. Thanks. I'll just put that in my hat, you know, but I know. So we're good now. Yeah, that is a really interesting observation because I didn't really notice that. But you're right. Like the two key female characters. The only female characters. The only female characters have to ask for the permission to make that choice. And then it's written into the script that they fail. So it's kind of reinstilling the notion that, like, see, this is what happens when we let women do things. And they're in the movie so little, too. And then, like, Carol, we have to see her, like, Victoria's Secret ad, which, like, when you look up um, the the trailer for this, like, most of the thumbnails are her in that, like, you know, in her black underwear. Like, oh, my God, don't look at me, right? Also, also, this is going to piss you off because this pissed me off. 
Carol is Daddy Marcus's daughter, right? Mm. Dr. Carol Marcus from The Wrath of Khan was the woman that created Genesis. So in this one, we decided that we were going to make her a lingerie ad and her whole character is just like, but daddy, I believe in you. No, daddy, look, I know that you made some mistakes, even though she literally has seen all of the documentation that he brings home. He lets her read all of this and she knows that she's turning it into a military. She knows that like, you know, what he's done to all of these people and she still like, so <laughs> she's she, still just I, daddy, daddy, it's okay. I, I do hate that. Absolutely. I think that that's, so bad and stupid and fuck that for being a part of the story like ew um i hate her <laughs> i hated her she's character awful. she's literally so awful she is the most complicit in this because again you're so right that's her whole point where she's like i have a secret and i'm here for a reason and i saw all of these things and i know everything and i think something's fishy I actually know something's fishy and I know all of this stuff. And then as soon as he turns around, he's like, I'm actually bad and I'm going to fucking kill you guys. She's like, wait, no, you're not the dad. And it's just like, no, dude, like this you is are who he is. You're you've straight up known this and kind of put these people in harm's way because you have that information. You are complicit in the deaths of so many people. You cannot feign ignorance in this scenario. You cannot be like, but I'm just small and I can't, but no, no, dude, you knew what's going on. You put like, fuck off. And then to be like, I can save it. Let me talk to him. No. And then like for like the chivalrous thing to happen, right? Where uh, Kirk is like, I'm not going to shoot you. I can't shoot you in front of your daughter, right? And then like to try to give her a moment of like her calling Kirk out on his constant womanizing, which is why did we need the scene with the twins? Why did we need yeah. any of this, right? Like to me, like that's just fucking gross, disgusting. Why, and then he's like, oh, don't look. He turns around and looks at her and she's like, oh my God, right? And But he's like rewarded for it. It's like charming, right? But again, like so... She's still damseled in all of that, and she's complicit in all of that. And, like, because of that, it's... She she was just a very bad character, where in the first one, she was super great, and she was, like, empowered in the sense where she was like, look, Kirk, I don't want you around our son, so I'm going to take him, and I'm going to go off. I'm a scientist, and I have this... I have big ideas. I'm going to go do this. Enjoy your life, but... I'm going to take the sun, right? Yeah. She makes all of these choices and she does all of this and she's not looking to get back with him or anything. And then this one, she's like, oh my God, daddy, like, look, I've seen your secret reports, okay? But like, and that's why I'm here. But also, I know that you're not really bad. And also, (laughs) um... (laughs) You're you're big daddy and me, little baby. Don't shoot my (laughs) friends. Don't shoot me, daddy. Daddy, don't shoot mm, me. Like... It's like you are you are literally just a monster. Like go home, go away. <laughs> like you're just, ugh. Yeah. So the women I, deserved I, a lot better in this because I also oh, I yeah. really love Zoe Saldana and I just wish that her character had so much more in this film. I wish that she had more than yes. I agree with you. I do think that largely her character in this movie was just like angry girlfriend. And I mean, to be fair, again, I agree with the anger. Mm-hmm. Like I agree with everything that but her that's character all she was doing. In this. Like, but just that's these all, little moments. That's all they give her. They give her this big chunk right at the beginning 
to not only be mad but to fail and then when she fails it's kind of like we're gonna stop looking at you for a sec and by for a sec i mean for the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah. you know let's talk about spock and that whole moment with ahura right and how literally from the beginning of the movie we are told that spock is somebody that is willing to sacrifice himself for other people that he does not know to uphold their culture that juxtaposed against when we see Kirk who has literally stolen like this holy thing that the indigenous people are chasing him for you know and then he just fucking throws it and and then it's like fuck you I'm gonna go get my friend isn't it interesting that this trope this character trope of like the sort of nerdy buzzkill and like the hot I don't give a shit protagonist is a trope like, Spock is so willing to preserve the culture of this place by A, not being the scene and following the number one rule, but B, saving them from Volcano and allowing them to flourish and grow at their own pace, right? Mm-hmm. Quietly being the hero. But then our lead and this character who we're supposed to love is literally, like, running out of the temple, like you said, with this holy thing and being like, who fucking cares? We have to go. Like, they're going to kill us, so fuck them now. It's like, no, you're the invader. You're the colonizer, you stupid fucking yes. asshole. Get out of the for temple. A laugh. Like it's, it's supposed to be laugh. funny. Yeah. Like that when he's like a womanizer, when he's being manipulative to his friends and like like using uh racial slurs against Spock and being yeah. like like and manipulating him and being like, You threw me under the bus. Like he uses them as both his conscience and his punching bag, right? Yeah. And like, oh well, I'm talking to the human part of you. Then, like, that that fucking line of, like, you know, after um, Spock writes his report and says exactly what happened. And he's like, where I come from, humans give each other loyalty. And you're like, fucking hate you. Hate you so much. And each one of these things is played as, like, Don't uh, like break right the off the blue bat. line, brother. Fucking asshole cop. Right off the bat. Literally the biggest no-no in Starfleet and all of Star Trek, the prime directive, is violated just for a quick laugh with this character like within the first fucking 60 seconds of this movie yeah like that's the biggest fuck you that i can think of it is and it, it, it again just plays to the idea that like i know kirk is supposed to be the everyman and to that effect most people fucking suck <laughs> but <laughs> that i mean i think that that's why but like, why, 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 why? Why? Like, what is the point of Kirk? Like, I mean, I get it for the sake of foibles and for the sake of momentum and, like, making the wrong choice but trying to be better and making another bad choice but trying to be better just for the sake of story to get us there, to get us where we need to go. I get it. But he- fuck Captain Kirk. And... His trash behavior, like you said, is played for laughs at every turn. And He's like the Bill the- Murray in this movie where like yeah. literally everything, you're like, why are men the way they are? And you're like, oh, because yeah. this behavior is supposed to be good and funny and, and rewardable. Yeah. Yeah. It's It really is just that. It's painted as... We're not going to talk about him being bad because he's just a big dumb himbo. So that's why all of these bad things are the joke. Oh, isn't that funny how bad he's being? Oh, and I think that's why, like, I liked, uh, you know, when we were talking about the first one, I was like, oh, I like this one better because sure, Kirk sucks in there too, but a lot of it is just, I mean, until the very end, it's just making him look bad and having to like reconcile with what he's done. And in this one, he is 
the fucking narrative. And he is just so big and so much badder and so present that, like, for me, like, everything that I liked about Khan or liked about Spock, he overshadowed because this was literally just rewarding the worst parts of... (laughs) The worst parts of humanity right here, you know? Him and his fucking silly blue eyes. Fuck him. This one really did kind of feel, the more I think about it, like a Michael Bay film. Yes. This is Michael Bay's Star Trek. In the camera work alone, it's very like, they're just walking into a room and it's like, (laughs) like all like in the face, then down, then around, like walk around the camera and boom. Like, everything just feels too heightened. But, I mean, to that effect, maybe it was successful, for me at least, possibly, of, like, just getting and keeping my attention just with visual tricks. Mm-hmm. So, Michael yeah. Bay Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay, we're telling you, please reboot the Star Trek franchise. We need more content. We need more Star Trek. And we need it only from Michael Bay. Please, Michael, if you're listening to us, please make this. <laughs> I don't know. Are we ready to move? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good to move. Yeah, I'm good. So we went to outer space. We came back to talk about space. Eric. Um, What's up? The Wrath of Khan, or I'm sorry, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, who was it for? I feel like Trekkies is too easy, but possibly. Honestly, I'm just going to say it was for Ricardo Montalban's career. Because <laughs> he really ate that shit up. He ate that character up. Like, that was just the whole the whole vibe. It was for him. It was for him to, like, shine. So, yeah, Ricardo Montalban's career, 100%. Who do you think it was for? I think it was... For two different groups. I'm going to split okay. it up. So I think it was for Trekkies, for sure, right? Like, yes, okay, here. Mm-hmm. But I also think it was supposed to be a gateway drug for the general population to get into Star Trek because people that don't even like Star Trek have seen this movie. Like, it's like always like, oh, yeah, Wrath of Khan, that's the one. If you're going to watch anything, watch the Wrath of Khan. So I feel like this is like, their flagship and i feel like this generated a lot of and i could be i'm talking out of my ass at this point but um, (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that this reached audiences that star trek normally wouldn't reach and because of that likely perpetuated the later adaptations um hey did you like it i've been waiting for this question and i've been thinking about it i've been considering it uh heavily And I do think in a 51% to 49%, I did like it. (laughs) You can also not like it. It's okay. We can still be friends. No, but the thing is, is like I did, but it wasn't like great. I liked it, but it wasn't like my jam. Mm -hmm. Because there wasn't anything about it necessarily that I was like, I don't like this. This is bad. I mean, apart from just some of the general themes we talked about, but even then it's kind of like whatever. I do think that at times it was a little bit boring, but generally I did like it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like a 51-49 moment where like it's close, but I do think that I, t- I tip into the I liked it 
category. So I, of course, loved it. Yeah. And because I'm a Star Trek fan and because like, so you know how like you are with heist movies, how like it doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter yeah. anything like still fuck you up. That's me in sci-fi. That's me in Love. like space. Like fuck me up. I will watch bad space things because <laughs> it's space and I'm just fucking here for it. Right. Yeah. Um, because I like when there's new and different and interesting stories and we're seeing different kinds of groups and people and uh, there's just there's a lot to love with sci-fi i like it yeah and i think it's fun uh now the remake star trek into darkness was this new interesting or the same progressive regressive and how has the story evolved with today's ideals i think it was both new and interesting both in the development of the character of Khan, but also in the way that they framed the character Khan within this story. Uh, I thought, yeah, I thought it was both new and interesting. I liked the way they did it. It interested me, and I, it was new. Um, I think it was progressive in the sense that it reframed the idea of what good and bad can be, just in terms of context. Like, I do think framing it around this idea that, like, Starfleet is inherently bad in this movie, even though that isn't necessarily canon to Starfleet as a whole. But in this movie, framing them as the bad, and which kind of depicts Khan as the victim, like who is still bad, but it just, it makes it more complicated. I thought that that was fairly progressive in the way that they told the story of this character, who is at their base level a very sort of like, wronged character regardless of of the way starfleet is presented in either movie so i thought it was progressive in that sense has it progressed with today's ideals has it i don't know has it wait hold on i think spock has always been very eloquent and very clear and concise and that's kind of why we love spock that's the vibe i will say maybe it has progressed with the ideals of like dissecting vulnerability and maleness like seeing Spock kind of dissect the way that he feels in these spaces and giving context and sort of giving clarity to those feelings obsessed like what a beautiful moment of the opposite of what is expected of men under this patriarchal society right like so clear so eloquent huh truly oh I thought you were like really I was like oh Oh, yeah, let's goodness. talk about it. <laughs> Patriarchy, what's yeah. that? What did you think? Do you think it was new and progressive? Yeah, I think that it was new and interesting for sure. I like that this wasn't a carbon copy of like like a lot of remakes are of just the Wrath of Khan, but we're making it better. Um, I liked that it gave more context for, um, for Khan's character and his motivations. There was a little bit more consistency with that. So... It was interesting to see that reframing um, for me. Was it progressive, regressive? I think it was regressive. Um, regressive? I think it was regressive, mostly okay. because we see a lot of this narrative through Kirk's eyes and how he exists in the world. And there's just so much. I mean, I have an entire page of notes just on Kirk because literally, like, other than the few moments with Spock and uh, the few moments with Khan, like he's really the only real character in this movie that they kind of like center in on in terms of like motivations and what they're feeling and how they're doing. But um, just I felt like that was just really 
hammering in patriarchal ideas and just really just giving men like him uh, space and a narrative that they don't necessarily that there's already so much we don't fucking need more of it like i don't yeah. need i don't need to see him being an asshole to women i don't need to see him being a womanizer i don't need to see him being manipulative and then for all of these bad things that he does he never has to really face that right he's still fucking rewarded throughout all of that and in the first one at least kirk has to face that in some capacity you know but so I do think that it was uh, it did have its progressive moments in terms of like characterization with mostly Khan and with some of the things that you're talking about with Spock, which I mean, like have always been inherent to Spock's character. But I think overall just completely regressive because it just double tripled down on all of these awful things that Kirk is and this male this type of maleness that he exudes and just just the rewarding of that. I hate that. Who do you think it was for? Not Trekkies, <laughs> um, just in terms of my understanding of it. Um, honestly, I'm gonna just say it was from Michael Bay. It was a love it was letter a, to Michael it Bay. It was a love. It was a love letter from JJ to Bay. Truly, was I it think like trying to open the door for a collab. An DM open invitation. Collab? Yeah, he straight up commented, said DM for collab. Hit us on our main page. What's up? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I I think it was. I honestly think it's just a cash grab. Like as for as much as I liked it, this the whole revival of it really just feels like trying to capitalize on a new market of people who are kind of familiar with the IP but still far enough away to be not so involved that they hate this new version, but mm-hmm. involved enough to recognize it and say, "Hmm, maybe I'll like that," which is a huge percentage of people, right? Because mm-hmm. Star Trek is so well known, but I feel like it is niche enough to where it is way more known than it is respected by the canon or by or not by the canon, by the fandom. That's the mm-hmm. term. Yeah, I, I also think that this was for people that aren't Star Trek fans in the sense that they were trying to bring more people into Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and that is something that Star Trek does do. Like, I mean, everybody has a has a different uh, favorite. You know, what, like, what's your favorite? And like, you know, DS9 or Voyager or this or that. And and it's always very valid and it's always really interesting to hear why, uh, why people connected so much with, um, with this iteration or this character versus another. And you can really like learn a lot about people by, by doing that. So I, I just have a great time talking to people about that. But, um, but also like it was for people that wanted to see like Avengers fans, it's for like <laughs> uh, not even Avengers fans, no, because like there's like a whole thing like it's bigger than that now. Um, but like, yeah, it it was for like people that wanted like Ninja Turtles. You know, they wanted to bring in yeah. like that that yeah. sort of crowd, just like a general populace that maybe have always kind of looked down on Trekkies in the same way that like you know Star Wars suddenly became cool and it's fine to like that now. I think that was their kind of grab at that. So oh, yeah. and for me, that's a big part of what cheapens it. But I'm glad that at least now they're doing more stuff with like discovery and things like that, where, you know, it is just as action packed as this. And there's like not a fucking moment of rest for poor Michael Burnham, who we love and we stand forever. But in that, you're never bored. And they are telling these compelling stories about like queer characters or about this. Like it doesn't it's not just 
to make money. It's not just to make a movie or it's not just to make the thing. It is clearly for somebody. And I think that that's when media does does the best. And I like that Star Trek does oh, yeah. that with now they also have lower decks, right? And now they're also coming out with another with a children's show based on Captain Janeway with from Voyager, who is like the first woman captain in Star Trek that we see, right? To lead her own show, right? Um, yeah. And arguably one of the best captains in existence in, in that whole thing. So I love that they know that and that they have these different levels of engagement. And you can find... There's all these niches within Star Trek that you can find what you're looking for. I love it. Uh, did you like it? I did. I did. I thought it was fun and interesting. And it, I mean, it kept my attention. I loved it. Again, you should have let me sleep. I'm just like, yes, the drama. I'm so into it. <laughs> did you like it? No. I don't think I did. <laughs> That's totally fair. I absolutely get it. <laughs> Look at us disagreeing. Yeah, this is, I mean, more often than not, we agree, but there have been like a very select few of nice little like disagreeing moments, which I appreciate. I like that we don't just say that we like something because we're afraid of what the other one's going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm terrified. I, I feel like I'm about to you be doxed be. online for my opinion. Um, But look at how brave I am for still saying it anyways. Ooh, bravery. <laughs> so brave. Cool. I think that's it then. Um, that's thank it. you so much. Thank you for An- listening. Another um, ep in the books, on the books, <laughs> in the vault. Don't forget to rate and review us and follow us on social media. We might be it- doing a TikTok soon. We'll, oh, like, probably. We're about it. Like, I don't know. We have ideas. And speaking of those ideas, you can listen to more of ours by becoming a patron on patreon.com forward slash notstalgia, where you can subscribe to our Not Notstalgia podcast, where we talk about, I, I think it's going to be something associated with the episode that's coming out, which is gorgeous. So you'll get a little behind the scenes or like a side story to what we're talking about, along with some other cool stuff on there. Go check it out. It's fairly inexpensive. You'll love it. Please support us. You love us. And we love you. We love you. you. <laughs> Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre. Editing is by Danny Barkley. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye. (laughs) Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the NostalgiaNetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number 4, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.